John Piper is an American theologian, writer, church leader. And he says this. He says he loves reading about the great 18th century Christians like Jonathan Edwards. Remember, we had a look at revival. And Jonathan Edwards is one of the guys that um, spearheaded revival in America in the 18th century Great Awakening. And he says this. He loves reading about those guys because in the 21st century, we live in an atmosphere that is too dense with man. That's how he puts it. He says, we live in a world that is too dense with man. It's absolutely true. And that's why Isaiah chapter 6 is so crucial for us. Like Isaiah, we all need to be captured by the presence of God, by the wonder of God, by the glory of God. And we need to start seeing something of our own smallness and our own insignificance in the light of eternity. A friend of mine says this. He says, we are just a brief burp in the light of eternity. That's what we are. At best, we find our place in God's plan and scheme of things and give our energy where we need to. But actually, in the light of eternity, we, we are just a smattering. We are nothing. John Piper is right. Becky was right last week when she preached on worship. Why many fail to hear God, why many fail to connect with the destiny that God has for them, is because their focus is on other things primarily. And I want to say, right at the center, their focus is on themselves. Focus, and I'm not pointing a finger. Sometimes I have to say, my focus is upon myself. And we're all so preoccupied with ourselves, with our choices, our preference, our intellectual bias, what we are comfortable with, with political correctness. I mean, whether, whether people like us or not. Oh, I just want to be liked. I, I'm just, I don't want people not to like me, so I'll do anything just to make people like me. Well, you know what? I don't think Isaiah cared after he encountered God. I don't think he cared what people thought of him. That he was a raving lunatic. He didn't care. He'd encountered the living God. He was changed, transformed, and he had to. He cannot. Jeremiah said the word of God burned in him with such a passion that he could not shut it up. He could not help but speak. Let this church become a church like that, that cannot help but speak about the gospel. It's burning inside of us. And so we all need to encounter God. We all need to see the reality of what we dream for. How many of you dream for a revived church? How many of you dream that one day this church will be filled? We bought 600 chairs. I think we've used it once when we opened the building and we invited all our mates. How many of you dream that we'd see revival in this community? Well, I want to say to you with, with, with great, great compassion, the only thing that's going to produce lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting happiness is if you and I encounter the living God. Real joy. God's joy. You can't bottle it. You can't buy it. You can't swallow it in an ecstasy pill. You can't inject it into your veins. You can't experience it in a pleasure park. You can't experience it on the ski slopes as much as I love skiing. It's not found in making millions of pounds. It's not found in climbing to the heart of corporate success. Pure joy is only found in the presence of God. And when we start to see like Isaiah did, we begin to see God who He really is and we begin to understand His ways. And Becky was right. We live in a time where idolatry has never been more prevalent. 
People like to make up their own ideas, of, ideas about God and what He's like, and then they lull themselves into the sense of, well, God wouldn't behave like that because I've, I've thought about Him in a certain way, and He's actually going to conform to my expectations of who He is. So He's never going to behave outward of how I understand Him. So dangerous to think about God like that. My God would never do that. Well, who God is, whose God is that? Is it the God of the Bible, or is it your God, fashioned in your image, after your thinking? My point is that we all need to encounter the real Jesus. And I want to encourage you, come and hear what Michael Eden has to say about who Jesus really is. We've had so much stuff written about Jesus. Well, we want to know about who the real Jesus is from, from the Scripture. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, The idolater simply imagines things about God, and then he acts as if they were true. That's what idolatry is. We simply imagine things about God, who we would like him to be, and then we behave like God is really like that. That's our idolatry. He also says this, Tozer, the God of contemporary Christianity is only slightly superior to the God of Greece, the gods of Greece and Rome. If indeed he's not actually inferior to them, in that he is weak and helpless while they at least had power. That's how many Christians, that's how many Christians behave today. That's, that's the kind of God that many Christians serve. They haven't had a terrifying, devastating encounter with the living God, like Isaiah did. And our encounter with God is small, and, and it's, it's lacking power. It's lacking wonder. It's lacking the sense of worship. Well, I want to ask you to pray with us this year that God would burn away every single degrading, limited concept of who He is that would, in us would begin to be birthed an absolute wonder of who Jesus is, who God is, and it will completely transform our lives. I cannot do any more. Personally, I cannot make this church grow. I cannot. I cannot preach better. I cannot lead worship better. The guys leading this church with us, we are doing the best that we can. We cannot do it any better. The only thing that is going to make this church grow is if you and I have a terrifying encounter with God, we flatten our faces, we worship Him because He is worthy of all of that, and our lives are so transformed that people cannot help but taste and see the living Christ in us, and they want something of that. That's the only thing. So, in those two verses, we see something amazing. Something of the predictable world of Isaiah begins to fall apart. There's two things described in that one verse. The first is a death in an earthly palace. In the year that King Uzziah died, he describes the death of King Uzziah. And then he says, there's a second thing, there's a vision in the temple. He says, one king, the earthly king, is dead, but I saw the eternal one. I saw him who is infinite. I saw him, the great creator of all, the immortal one, the immutable one. I saw him in the year that King Uzziah died. And so, archaeologists tell us that Uzziah died in 740 BC. And there was a superficial peace that Israel had been enjoying for about 52 years. That's how long as, Isaiah, as Uzziah had been on the throne. Because waiting in the wings were the Assyrians, and the Assyrians really were the Third Reich of their day. They were ruthless, militaristic, with a lust for power and domination, and they absolutely devastated the ancient world. And so for this period of peace that um, Israel enjoyed while Uzziah was on the throne, 
Isaiah realizes when King Uzziah dies, he realizes things are going to change radically. The Syrians are there waiting in the wings. But as he sees God, the true meaning for his life, the true reason that he's on the planet begins to unfold and it changes his life forever. And I believe something similar is happening today to millions of people all over the world. The world that they've built their lives upon has begun to shake. And so in the last 10 years, we've seen things like the Twin Towers come crashing down. We've seen the Spanish train bombings. We've seen the bombings here in London. We've seen freak hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis. We've seen increased economic pressure. Now, as many are with the Euro crisis, many fear are fearing for their jobs. Those who've put their, their confidence in their pension are now rocking and rolling and saying, well, I've got an uncertain future. A friend of mine said that his pension was reduced by 40% in one year because of the stock market crash. And I'm not saying that these challenges are anything like what we faced as a nation in 1939 when the Germans invaded Poland. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm not saying what we are experiencing right now is as, as what people experienced in the 1920s when the Great Depression happened. I'm not saying that. I think for many of us, life has carried on pretty much as normal. What I am saying is this, that for many, their personal peace, their personal comfort started to be rocked and shaken. And for many, their confidence also has been shaken. Could it be, I'm putting it to you this morning, could it be that God is using what we are going through as a nation so that people out of desperation for deliverance will begin to cry out and say, God, I need you like Isaiah saw you. The only one, we sang it last week, he alone can rescue, he alone can save. He's the only one who can rescue you. He's the only one who can re- rescue your sin, you from sin. He's the only one who can rescue you from your circumstances. Where's your confidence? Where's my confidence? It can only be in Him. And so, I believe that into this in- world of incredible arrogance, world of self-centered presumption, full of unbelief, full of crass greed, Almighty God, He speaks to us. He steps forward into our lives and He's been speaking and He continues to speak and He says, I am still on the throne. I am still seated on high. And He revealed that to Isaiah. A man that that lived to honor His name, but at the same time Isaiah knew, He said, the first thing that He cries out, He says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He realizes his sin. He realizes his need of God. And yet he was a man who honored God with all of his life. And we know that the angel comes and touches his lips and cleanses him. Cleanses him. What our nation needs, what our city needs, what St. Albans needs most at this time, in an era where people are increasingly disillusioned with media spin, with political leaders who lack integrity, is to see a church that is cleansed of its own decay. It's to see a church that is awakened out of its slumber, out of its absolute apathy. A church that stops playing games with God's people. A church that recovers from backsliddenness and is utterly consumed and overwhelmed with the glory of God and the majesty of God and the wonder of who He is. If we encounter that God, we might be able to stun the world with the God that we ourselves have seen and experienced. If we've not seen and experienced Him, the living Christ, we ain't going to impact anybody with anything of any value. 
Simple question, guys. How expectant are you that God wants to meet with you in 2012 like He met with Isaiah? How expectant are you? When we come together every Sunday, is it very much business as usual? Are you praying for this church that we will experience the supernatural when we get together? Are you praying that every... And I'm not saying this to accuse anyone. Please just hear my heart, all right? Are you praying that it is going to be a supernatural year? That we are going to see many saved, delivered, healed, set free? Or, or, is, it, is, your, is it like, well, it's up to Ant and it's up to the worship team and it's up to the leaders to make it happen? Is that a fair question? Now I don't have any friends. I'm convinced that as we seek Him with all of our hearts, as we put Jesus at the center, He will give us a glimpse of the transcendent God that Isaiah saw. He wants to do it here. He wants to do it in the city. He wants to do it in this nation. From the moment Isaiah saw God like that, everything changed. God wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for me. I want to say to you, it must happen. It can happen. And when it does happen, we will start to be on a road of success. That is success as God defines it, not as we define it. And so I tweeted something this week that I hope some of you read. I'm going to close with it. It's a paragraph by a guy called Ray Ortland. He, he reads a church, he leads a church in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And he said this. He said, in a world of secrets, outward success is everyone's goal. If we can just succeed, we won't have to face ourselves. No wonder that doesn't work. It can't work. The reality of what we are will always topple the house of cards persona we so earnestly wish was true. Listen to this. The gospel is not God's way of giving us an even better self-improvement goal. How can I improve myself? Well, the gospel will help me to improve myself a little. The gospel is God's judgment on our better selves and his replacement of it all with Jesus. Every one of us thinks, oh, if only I could be that. Or, if only I could do that. I would arrive. So what does arrive look like to you? If it isn't Jesus, the risen Lord himself, every arrival you achieve is only another setback. So listen to this, guys. If you make financial security your arrival, you are already trapped in anxiety. If only I could be financially secure. You are always going to be anxious about money. If you make a thin body your identity, you will only hate yourself even more. If you make a porn-free life your okayness, you are doomed to a life of compulsion. God's remedy for you is not more money or better looks or perfect control. God's gift to you is Jesus. With Jesus, we are saved. Everything is going to be okay. 
Without Jesus, we are damned. Everything, nothing will go right. Forsake all fraudulent success. Make Jesus your goal, your arrival, your destiny, your identity, your comfort, your okayness, and he will gladly give himself to you and on terms of grace. But reach for anything else and it will turn you turn its opposite, turn into its opposite and betray you. Paul said this, to paraphrase him, I have lost everything and I don't care because now I get Jesus. Philippians 3. Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus that changed everything. Isaiah had a radical encounter with Jesus that changed everything. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. Every one of us, you and I, we all need a radical encounter with Jesus. How expectant are you that God wants to meet you this year in the same way that he met Isaiah? Have you considered the possibility that all that's happening in your life is God saying maybe to you that, like Paul, you are also able to say, I might have lost everything, but I don't even care because I've I've got Jesus. I visited with Alan this week, and we had lunch together. We were just talking about revival and the church and our longing for the church to change and impact St. Albans and London and the world. And he said he was in a church in Leeds where there was a big banner at the front of the church which simply said, His name held in high honor. His name held in high honor. How many of us are praying that the name of Jesus is held in high honor in our lives? in our families, in our communities, where we work, over St. Albans. I don't say that to accuse anybody. I say that to encourage you. Let that be the prayer of our hearts. This year, Lord, in my life, your name will be held in high honor in everything that I do. For Forest Town Church, this year, Lord, your name will be held in high honor in everything that we do.